Please be seated. Grace and peace be unto you from God our Father and Jesus Christ, our risen, our reigning, our resurrected, and our returning Redeemer. I thank the Lord God for an opportunity to stand in this place and I solicit your prayers as I navigate some anxiety in unfamiliar territory. I am a Baptist preacher with a Methodist name in Episcopal space. Uh, um, I am ecumenically confused right now uh, and I'm trying to adapt to cultures and customs of worship that are a tad bit strange to me. So I do want to remind you that God encouraged us to be hospitable to the strangers in our midst. It is with great joy uh, and humility that I stand in this space on this feast where we honor the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Just a quick personal story so that you'll understand why. My name right now is still persona non grata at Princeton Theological Seminary. When I began my seminary journey in 1994, I was a student at Princeton. I was enrolled for a whole two weeks and then Boston University called and I left Princeton, packed up my stuff and moved to Boston University. Princeton didn't think highly of that. And to this day when I'm asked why, Boston University called and afforded me the opportunity to be a Martin Luther King scholar, which meant that for three years with full tuition paid, I was able to study the life, the works and the prophetic ministry of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, who I believe arguably is still one of God's greatest prophets and his combination of faith and justice still shaped my understanding of God and our work in the world. The gospel reading from Luke, I would partner with another writing from the same author. In the book of Acts, Luke continues and hear these words from chapter one. Now, when Jesus had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, just about a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, and it was Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. As we prepare for this feast and honor the life of Dr. King, in the Baptist tradition we put titles on our sermon, and so I want to talk to you about where we go from here. With the passing of the Civil Rights Act in June of 64, and the crown jewel of the Voters' Rights Act being passed in August of 65, with those two monumental victories behind him, Dr. King escaped public eye to a secluded home of a friend in Jamaica and while there, he began to ponder some of the events in America, particularly the riots in Watts in Los Angeles and the poverty he had experienced while living in the Lawndale section of a ghetto of Chicago. And it was there in that time of thought that Dr. King began to transition his thought, his philosophy, 
his heart's desire from the blatant racism of the South to the economic, the educational, and the employment disparities that black faced in northern cities. Dr. King put pen to paper and wrote some thoughts that would leak out in his speeches after leaving Jamaica, where he then began to realize that racism was not the only nor the singular battle that America had to face, but rather that the greatest challenge was now before him, and that was the eradication of poverty. Dr. King put pen to paper and wrote what would be his final book, simply entitled, Where Do We Go From Here? It seems to me that is the same question these followers of Jesus must have been pondering as Luke introduces us to the events that go down in the first chapter of the book of Acts. Jesus has been crucified, but thanks be to God, he's risen from the dead and joy is restored to the apostles' hearts. The pain of crucifixion has been transformed by the joy of resurrection. And these disciples could not be happier because now their master is back. And the Bible says for some six weeks, they are in his presence enjoying what Luke describes as infallible proof of his resurrection as he continues to proclaim the realm of God and the coming of God's reign over all the earth. They're all excited. The healer is back. Health care has been reformed. <laughs> Pre-existing conditions are now covered. The economy has taken a turn. The poor are being cared for once again. The auto industry has been revamped. Urban and rural areas now have access to internet. Pell grants have been reestablished. Women can outsue for working more and getting paid less. Everything seems to be all right. But there's a group that still won't accept him. Because you see, for them, Jesus did not make Israel great again. And they wanted someone that would restore the greatness of their land. So these disciples are with Jesus only to find out to their shock and dismay that now Jesus is leaving them again. He had always prophesied that he would die and that he would be resurrected, but nowhere did Jesus tell them, and I'm going to leave you. They never envisioned that his term would end. They never thought he would leave and walk out of office. In their mind, they did not vote for this. This is not what they asked for. How can you leave us now? And their hearts are heavy as they watch their Savior ascend into heaven. And they're standing there, and even though Luke doesn't share it, I believe that's the fault of redaction criticism. So let me tell you what was really there. These disciples are wondering where do we go from here? Now that Christ is risen but has ascended, where do we go? Where do we go from here while we're waiting for the promise of his eschatological parousia return? Where do we go while we wait? Beloved, that's a question that we've come to multiple times in our nation. Where do we go from here? That's a question that was asked in 1857 when Supreme Court Justice Roger Taney 
declared that black people had no rights that a white man was bound to respect. Where do we go from here? It's a question we asked in September of 1963 when four little girls, Addie Mae Collins, Carol Robertson, Cynthia Wesley, and Denise McNair were killed in a cowardly bombing in Birmingham, Alabama. Where do we go from here? We asked that in July of 2013, when George Zimmerman was found innocent of the brutal slaying of Trayvon Martin, opening an almost unprecedented, unprecedented slaying of African-American men and women in our streets. Where do we go from here? It's a question that was asked on the 4th of April, 1968, when an assassin's bullet silenced the prophetic voice of Dr. Martin Luther King. Where do we go from here? I don't know about you, but that's a question I've been asking ever since I awakened on November 9th of 2016. Where do we go from here? Where do you go when every day you turn on the news to more incredulous insanity? Where do you go when every day it seems like rumors of collusion and interference and hush money claims more media attention than the plight of the poor and the wars and famine in the world? Where do you go when the rights of your LGBTQIA plus brothers and sisters are being challenged in administration. Where do you go when a woman's right to choose the destiny of her own body is being challenged by the defunding of Planned Parenthood? Where do you go when it seems every day there's more insanity and evil in the world? So these disciples are looking up wondering where they should go. And the Bible says that two angels come to them and the angels ask them a probing question. The angels want to know, why are you staring into heaven? Um, we know this is not how you thought things would be. We know that this hasn't turned out the way you want. We know that your hearts are heavy, your minds are confused. But why are you staring into heaven as if to suggest there's some stuff on earth you ought to be looking at and there's some things you ought to be doing right now. There's an urgency of today that ought to prohibit you from being so heavenly minded that you are no earthly good. It is a reminder that we cannot get so caught up in religion and worship and bread and table that we are not active in the here and now of the earth in which we live, that there's injustice that must be addressed, there's evil that must be pointed out, there is freedom that must be fought for. How can we just gather and look up? Now, since this is VTS, I thought I'd blend some exegesis with homiletics <laughs> and remind you that these are two angels. It's important that you remember how Luke uses angels because in many instances, Luke only needs one. When Mary needs to find out she's pregnant, it's just Gabriel. When Elizabeth and Zacharias need to be dealt with, it's just one angel. Luke 
only shows us two angels in one place. The tomb. The resurrected Christ is announced by two angels. And Luke brings back two angels in Acts as if to connect us back to the tomb to remind us that we who bear and proclaim witness of the resurrected Jesus must never become those who simply gaze into heaven. How can you proclaim a resurrected Christ and not be active in the evil in the world? How can you proclaim he's risen from the dead and holler hallelujah, but do nothing about the injustice that our brothers and our sisters face every day? He says to them, you, you all can't just stand here looking up. You got to do something. So notice what they do after hearing the charge of the angels to not simply be heavenly gazers. The Bible says they went up to Jerusalem and went up to the upper room. They went up. It seems to me that what the world needs most are some Christians who are committed to going up. That when the lies of politics will take us down, we go up. That when the evil we witness would bring us down, we're committed to going up. It was Dr. King's vision to always go higher. He said in his letter from a Birmingham jail, evil can never meet evil. It doesn't win like that. Hate can never diminish hate. It doesn't win like that. That when they go low, we must go up. That we must walk with a higher calling of what God has created us to be in this world, that we go up. They went up, and they went up because they had some business to handle. When they go to the upper room, one of the first things they've got to do is replace Judas. Because there are only 11. And according to Luke 22, there need to be 12. So they've got to handle an election. They go up because they realize that if we're going to be about the business of changing the world, we've got to handle the vote. We've got to deal with this election. Christ may be gone, but we still have to vote. Beloved, Dr. King understood that changing our world begins when all of our citizens have the right to vote. And not only have the right, but exercise the right to vote. How discouraging it is to hear a generation who in the last election decided that they didn't have a viable candidate, so rather than voting, they just sat at home. And you can never lament the evil of the world if you won't vote. We've got some business to handle because in November, there are more than 25 senatorial, 435 congressional, and a dozen gubernatorial seats that are up for election. And if we would break bread in the name of Dr. King, we damn sure better vote in his name. <laughs> that there is something wrong with the people who claim to be Christ-like but will not vote. They go up to vote, 
And Luke tells us who went up to the room. He starts naming all the apostles. If you've ever Forget their names, go to Acts 1, you can find them all right there. Peter, James, Matthew, Thaddeus, Bartholomew, the other Judas, all of them are named. And then Luke takes special care to say, and the women. Interesting. Because Judy, it seems to me that in patriarchal culture, one doesn't name women. And Luke takes special care to make certain we know that these apostles who went up knew that this could not be a male exclusionary endeavor, but that if we would be about the business of Christ in the world, it must be an inclusive invitation. That we cannot exclude anyone based on gender or race or ethnicity or culture or sexual identity, but that all of God's children must be invited to this table because it is only then that the realm of God is revealed through our work. And in a world where we are so quick to draw lands in the sand around us and them and name other and isms are brought up every day and borders are being shut down and we begin to speak about our stuff in our land might we remember these apostles who understood that if we would go up we all must go up together is that not why dr king argued that a threat to justice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Someone's lack of freedom over there affects your lack of freedom over here. Your complicity in their oppression there only really hurts your oppression here, that you cannot detach yourself from the greater fabric of humanity, that we are all knit together, and until all of us are free, none of us are free. They all went up together. And they went up together and they began to pray. Because when they didn't know what to do, they did what they knew to do. When they didn't know what policy to back, when they didn't know what candidate to vote for, when they didn't know where to march, when they didn't know what to support, here's what they decided to do. Let's start by praying. They had learned from the life of Jesus what I pray you have learned in your life, and that is that prayer always works. Prayer changes things. Prayer fixes things. Prayer turns things around. My dad was a Baptist preacher, and it was grammatically incorrect, but it was theologically sound when he got up every Sunday, and this is what my dad used to say. What prayer can't do can't be did. That if prayer can't change it, if prayer can't fix it, it can't be done. But when God's people who are called by God's name humble themselves and pray and seek God's face and turn from their wicked ways, God says, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive your sin and I will heal your land. So often as I close, and I mean that in an Episcopal sense, not Baptist. Don't trust a Baptist preacher when he says, <laughs> I'm about to close. We focus so much on Dr. King's speeches and marches, 
and voice for racial equality. And the one thing that is missing in the scholarship of Dr. King is the deep abiding prayer life that Dr. King had. He received a phone call one night that shook him. On the other end was a voice that said, we're gonna kill you and your family. Dr. King had heard threats like this before, but he said, for some reason, that call got to him. And he started thinking about his daughter. He started thinking about his wife. And he wanted to quit, and he said the only thing that pushed him forward was that he knelt down and he prayed. And in prayer, God spoke to Dr. King and told him to keep fighting. For one day, the realm of God, the justice of God, and the love of God would be achieved by God's people. In prayer, Dr. King realized the vision of God that kept him pressing on. Prayer connects us to a greater vision than what we see in our here and our now that encourages us to push on and fight on believing that the realm of God is on its way. So when he stood for that final time in Memphis, listen to that speech, I've been to the mountaintop. See a man who knew his last day was upon him. And yet he declares, the vision he received in prayer. He says, I'd like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But all that doesn't matter to me now because I've been to the mountaintop and my eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He's trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. When you pray and you see that vision, to tell you to keep pressing on. Where do we go from here? We go up, we vote, we bring all of God's children, and we pray. And may we be faithful to the vision God gives us as Dr. King was to one he received. This is the word of the Lord, amen.